you're listening to the Getting Smart Podcast. I'm Rebecca Middles, and today I'm joined by two dear friends and peers, Kelly Nichols and Abby Benedetto. Kelly, formerly a Getting Smart colleague, now leads secondary teaching and learning at Cheney Public Schools here in Washington. Abby is one of our senior fellows for the new Pathways campaign and the founder of Core Shifts. And I also get to work on several projects with her. So I'm so happy to have you both here today. Welcome. I'm honored to be talking with you and for us to co-create space and share about the assessment as a revelation framework. Let's, uh, let's start with a good why question. Why this framework? Why now? It's a great question. Um, and I think that the way that I answer in my own mind and when Kelly and I were sort of dreaming this up is that the world does not need another framework. Let's be real. But the world really needs to rethink assessment. Um, I just think that as we continue to push on and really try to think about public education in this country, we keep running up against these antiquated notions that assessment is how we sort and track young people, that assessment is punitive, that assessment is a lever to maintain like systemic oppression of certain of certain young people. And it just continues on rather than seeing it as an opportunity for young people to just like discover what is beautiful inside of them and for teachers to, to be partners in that process rather than being the ones who are determining what a student knows and what they don't know. And so I think we were just drawn to really trying to figure out how can we dream up in our most ridiculous sort of um, possibilities, how can we dream up a different way of thinking about assessment? Because it just does feel like we're at moments of intersection and possibility within schools around the country. Um, and we need to, or there's, a, there's an opportunity to provide people with tools and a new, a new mental model to think about assessment. I love that. I love the partnership piece that you're highlighting too, because I think a lot of people will talk about agency, but we don't really have systemic approaches for what that looks like. Without putting learners at the center from the very beginning, it's pretty hard to do. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I feel like we need to know how this framework came about. Yeah. Yeah. So we, um, uh, so Abby and I are Deeper Learning Equity Fellows, co cohort three alum, and that's how we met and became besties. I feel a shout out to the to your cohort. Yes, um, and um, and we have always kind of kept in touch. We have a, a really wonderful friendship and um, bond with one of our other um, fellows. Um, and so, what's been wonderful is this intersection of our work, particularly you know, getting smart, um, and you know how she's been partnering um, with you all and with me in in the education space. And I signed us up for something. <laughs> So as an equity fellow, um, I had an opportunity to propose a session for the Big Picture Learning Big Bang um, Summer Conference. And so I just like texted Abby and I was like, yo, you want to do like liberatory assessment with me? Um, and she's like, sure. Um, but and, and one of the key reasons why I like thought about this, particularly with Abby, is precisely about what she was just talking about. Um, I know that she's kindred in our attempts to desettle traditional school systems. And I think where, you know, I knew that her and I could come up with a way to workshop and engage people in learning to unlearn and, and also share a counter narrative. So I think 
um, for all the reasons why we need shifts in our assessment system. And I think there's, as you know, and particularly in the fields that we work in and, you know, Rebecca, I always talk about you being like one of the key ancestors of, you know, competency-based learning and really a, a revolutionary in this work. Um, I think that we have a need for um, a scaffold of like the framework helps understand how you could walk alongside an assessment versus have that teacher person or not, but um, it's it's just, it's a it's a whole nother wavelength. So that's what we did. So we, we got together, we hung out a lot and we, um, we created a session. <laughs> and now it's like this like full on framework and I'm super excited about it. And I think it was a huge hit too, if I remember. I know you can't probably say that, but I know there was a lot of excitement and a very packed room with requests to keep it going. So um, I love that that's where it started and it continued, which I think is is um, understandable for, for the two that I know you to be. Um, can you, so you shared that there's, it's that walking along, it's, the, it's sharing the path. What I hear is also, and I'd love you to correct me if I'm wrong, but a co-creating, a co-design, that's truly embracing assessment as learning. Um, could you talk a little bit more about that? Maybe include, I think, something around, I think you've talked about wayfinding before. Could you add a little bit more to that? Yeah. So I, and yes. So key elements here, and again, speaking upon like what Abby was talking about, where there's a lot of harm in assessment practices. And um, we really try to envision, um, and we use the term wayfinding um specifically, because wayfinding is a term, as we all know, or hopefully if we, if you don't know, now you know, um, there's many, many indigenous co um, cultures and contexts and tribes across the world that are wayfinders and um, have a, an experience of wayfinding, and we are not trying to appropriate that um, or those contexts. We are defining wayfinding very specific for our, um, our framework. Um, but I, we use that as, as an opportunity, again, to help people into this sense of being where um, you're not going to a predestined destination, right? So, you know, I work in a traditional system. Here, we've created our assessments. We've created a scope of learning to get to those assessments. All we're doing is, you know, supporting students to get to where we want them to go and to, for them to show us how they got there in the way that we want them to do so. Um, the revelatory assessment framework is the antithesis of that we don't know where we're going, like we're wayfinding, right? So we we define it explicitly as a journey that seeks and trusts um, that what we need is in us. So we have the asset, we are not, um, we're not something that needs to be filled, right? Like we have that fire. Um, and really it's about our ability to create relationship with our community um, and place literally where we are and, and where we reside and where our feet, you know, hit the ground. We persist onward, honoring the mutual reciprocity of living and knowing alongside the earth and each other. So that's how we conceptualize wayfinding and that process within our framework. I just wanted to build off what Kelly said about wayfinding because there was this moment, and I, I'm saying this because part of it, it's almost like when we came up with with revelatory assessment, it was a revelation um, because we were talking about this idea and and really digging into this this notion that assessment can be where learners of all ages are the ones who are determining what's happening next, right? And we're talking about this, and Kelly goes, "Wait, Abby, 
I think what you're talking about is assessment as revelation, not destination. And it was like a mic drop moment. And I was like, well, now um, you're going to be famous because that's right. But in that moment, she, you really captured Kelly, this idea that, um, that, that's what assessment should be, right? When we think about those moments, when I think about moments in my life where I've learned something, it's like where you like jump up and like, oh, I've just made a connection in my brain or I understand something new. Like that's what we're trying to create. The conditions for that is what we're trying to create in this notion of revelatory assessment. And that really does go back to this idea of walking beside, right? And I always attribute this to my former colleague, Alcine Mumby. She's a brilliant educator. And in a keynote speech, she she laid it out for people. She was like, listen, y'all, the Latin root of assessment is asidere, and that means to sit beside. And that's what we've lost. And I have just, that has spoken to me for so long, ever since she said that in this conference, because that's really what we're all trying to do when we're trying to rethink assessment. It's how can we have us walking beside each other in an ongoing process that it, there is no end. There just isn't. Because that 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 then means we're 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 setting up arbitrary checkpoints that somehow can sometimes make people feel like they're not going, they're not, they're not good enough or they're not where they're supposed to be or whatever. So I just wanted to add that part. And cutting out those conversations potentially that happen, right? With I love the sitting beside. I'm going to use that too. Thank you for passing that one on. And I think some of us might feel that as educators listening to this right now, when we've done conferring or like, in a, in a, like we've met with students and we sat beside and we've talked about that work and how powerful it was, how honored they felt, how they got to share their side of it. So really recognizing that sit beside part of assessment. Um, can you share ways that you would support adults or young people in this work? I think, I mean, that's the question, right? Right. Whenever we're trying to engage anybody in shifting mental models and practices or pedagogy, it's like, okay, how do we do this? And I think what I what I really love about how we've tried to create this framework is to acknowledge like within the framework we tried to identify for every single element of how we're defining revelatory assessment we've tried to lay out like what are the mental models like what are the mindset shifts that you need in order to do that and when we delivered this presentation in the summer what was so resounding from the room was like that's actually what we need first that before we give people sort of even examples of how to build an assessment or think of an experience that would involve this type, like the adults in the system or the, the facilitators of learning in the system need to actually figure out what's the stuff that they're dealing with inside of them. What have there been lived experiences of assessment? How has that impacted how they feel and think? And then what are the ways in which we can do the work to move and shift people's thinking and then move and shift people's practice. Um, and that's a complex thing, but we're really trying to dig into that with each of the of the different elements of the assessment framework. That's powerful. I can see you don't want to skip over that piece. You want you want the folks that are going to be leading this work with, with learners at their side to have experienced it themselves. Yeah. And I think I, I um, like to build upon that briefly is again, I think that's how the framework is supportive of it because it helps folks um, contextualize where their mindset is. Like we're so embedded in our understanding of what education is or what learning is or what teaching is um, that it's really imperative for us to be really clear about like who we are and what we need to be 
like who who we are and what we need to be to be able to actually walk alongside, sit beside, and really engage in lifelong learning. Like we talk about lifelong, we taught, we aspire to all these different components in education work, but we've not really broken them down contextually in a way where we embody them or actually shift who we are, which is why I think we find ourselves in these cycles of dysfunction in education work where we're like, well, why didn't that stick? Or why are we still dealing with this? Or if this is a question we've been asking, or if this is something we've inserted into the field, you know, for 50 years ago, why are we still battling the same battles? And it's because we actually haven't done the real work in internally um, or how we internalize it as a system. So that's why it's the question always is how do you support adults and young people? Um, and so we're hopeful that this framework is a, a catalyst to help name and identify um, what was and what needs to be and who we are and who we need to be to be able to really engage in different types of learning. Um, and I think what we've also tried cautiously in, in real intention is to not repurpose the same, like I always talk about the master's tools will not, you know, tear down the master's house. Like we don't want to rebuild a master's house. So we're really trying to be intentional in that design to not perpetuate tools of dysfunction or harm um, and really live out the inquiry um, and the possibility of, of what it means to really learn alongside. I think the catalyst has already happened. That's why we're here today. I'm so excited. This is definitely already starting the right conversations and I, I feel it out there. Um, can you tell me a little bit more about the components too? I think that would help people understand when you do say framework, what are we referencing? I know they can go to the blog and find out more, but just for those listening right now. Okay. So, I mean, I love what Kelly just said because we were really trying to embody again, this spirit of, of what we're saying, right? So if we, if we designed this framework, that's really rigid and really structured, and we're calling it revelatory assessment, that would not be us like living our own words. Right. So, but in an effort to try to say, like, if somebody were interested in trying to really rethink and, and push on the way assessment is, is conceived of, and then enacted in their system, we came up with five characteristics. And this was from a ton of research that Kelly and I have done in our lives as educators and in, in our lives as humans, um, examples that we've seen around the country and around the world of people who are trying to do something different within assessment. We just tried to sort of curate those and figure out how might we group these in ways that give people um, some ideas of how to think about implementing this. So sort of at the top level, the five characteristics within revelatory assessment is first is that it's personal. The idea behind personal is that um, any assessment experience that's connected to learning, it should be designed by the learner, um, again, in conjunction with a facilitator as necessary, but designed by the learner in a way where that feels that learning feels purposeful and meaningful, that there's an authenticity, a why to the learning and to the assessment that the learner gets to co-design. And in that design, there's an invitation for the learner to bring all of the richness of all of their identities into this moment of learning. Um, and so that's the sort of the personal characteristic. Second is that it's narrational. We feel like this is really pushing on, um, I think, the sort of dominant narrative of like quantitative data, test scores, more is better, bigger is better, and say, no, pause. That is not the only way that we um, can, can measure and validate and honor learning. 
Um, and this, of course, is, is, is being so beautifully captured in the book Street Data by Shane Safier and Jamila Dugan um, and in so many other uh, different centers of learning, really a, a lot of things around um, indigenous learners as well. But that narrational really centers storytelling and other non-quantifiable methods, but really storytelling. Um, Shane Safier in her first book called The Learning Leader talked about storientation um, and really this idea that we can push on how we collect and gather evidence of rich data and that it can really be in storytelling and narration and that the learners get to be their own authors, that that they're the ones that are narrating and telling the story of their own lear learning rather than an external person saying, nope, let me tell you about what you know and what you don't know. It's really pushing on that. The third one is that it's relational. And this is something that I believe really captures that sitting beside and walking beside in our learning. Um, relational assessment acknowledges that the learner has things that they are bringing to this learning moment and that they can learn. And the facilitator of learning or the assessor has things that they can learn. And so how can we actually create this in a way where there is mutual engagement um, and we're reducing sort of positionality or power constructs that historically have been in place? The fourth, of course, is that it's iterative. And this is at the heart of assessment being um, uh, revelatory and having it not be a destination. It's that it's never ending. If you have assessments where you do it once and you never do it again, what do you learn from that assessment? We need assessment where there's just this ongoing cycle of learning and insight, celebration of saying, this is where I am and this is where I need to go next. And then the last is that it's reciprocal. This came so deeply. We actually only had four to begin with and then added reciprocal. Um, and it, I was really moved to add it after I had a conversation with an incredible educator, Denise Espana, who is the founding principal of a Native Hawaiian charter school on Oahu called Malama Hanua. And I was talking to her about um, how she thinks about assessment in her school. And she said that in, um, in Native Hawaiian culture, there's this phrase of like, you are never alone meaning you come into a room with all of your ancestors, you come into a, a room of learning with all of your culture. And when you are there and when you are learning, you then have a responsibility to give back to the others who are with you. So that learning is not individual. It is much more of a collective idea. And it's not for you. It is how you can give back. It, it is for you and it's how you can give back to others. So that reciprocal nature um, was something that we felt like we really wanted to add. So those are the characteristics of regulatory assessment. Those are beautiful. I'm sure these are going to be listened to again. People are going to pause and re-listen to those pieces. Um, I also hear an interesting way that there's some work out there about like honoring what students bring in their own social network. They don't have to create an artificial one, that they already have connections in their world, in their space, in their communities, and all their group identities, which you referenced. But what I love about what you guys are also sharing is, in addition to recognizing that, then how do you honor that in their work and how they co-design and how they, they kind of carve their path based on that? So really deep stuff. Um, love that. Anything more to add to that, Kelly, with those traits? No, I think Abby said it very well. Yes, she did. Uh, well, so what does this mean then for our practice as educators, do you think, or learning systems? Well, I mean, I think um, it, it means that we need to do some things differently. I, I mean, I really, at the end of the day, if if we had a school or even a classroom or even a teacher, right, like that, it really embraced this way of engaging and learning, um, it would shift everything fundamentally about the way that we do schooling. Um, 
And I think that's what we need. Um, I I really want to like also assert the fact that we've come up with an opportunity to contextualize this framework, but we are also building upon ancestors that there have been, um, you know, communities of people for millennia who have essentially engaged in this type of learning. And and really what we're trying to do is remove this, um, um, this construct of like a machine, right. And an order like this factory that we send students to, um, and you know, like it, it would eliminate this idea of like grade levels. It would eliminate, um, a, a graduation in which now you are ready and like, there's nothing left to learn. Right. And we, and it also eliminates the need to like lifelong learning means spending 12 more years in college, um, or university, right? Like it, if if we really embrace this in a formative you know phase of life students would grow into young adults and adults that are just assuming this continuous like this continual community of learning and practice and that that continuous self discovery and purpose um and that it's not attached to um a system or a building or um, an age level, but it's about who we are as humans. And really, this is just the fabric of our human ecosystem. Um, and I think we're in desperate need of that. I think civilization and humanity is showing some need for how can we continue to function and have value and be in right relationship um, all of our lives. Um, and so I think immediately we could really shift the way some school settings operate Um, And I think we could really help impact communities and families in ways as partnership in how students learn, um, what it means to be a student, um, and what does it mean to be part of a community, part of a family, part of a learning environment. And again, really going into that space of it's not about a textbook or an expert or a timeline um, it's it's about who am I, right? This c- essential question, right? Like the the two fundamentals of like, do you see me and do you love me? And do you see me and love me for who I am? If our young people and and grew and our old people were always consumed with that question of how am I to be for you and who are you for me and how can we be for each other, and especially in in elements of the earth, um, of our you know natural existence, everything would fundamentally shift. And so that's, I mean, we're, you know, not that I'm trying to say like, we're, we're trying to revolutionize the world, but you know, we're kind of trying to revolutionize the world here. Um, and I think that's where the liberation comes in. Like this was where I was, we're like, this is liberatory assessment. Um, this, you know, right. Cause that's freedom dreaming. Right. And we talk about that in our framework and, and that's again, where we were really trying to push, we talk about, you should build upon the assets of your students in the classroom, but you're still forcing them into a classroom, into a lecture, into a curriculum that you've predetermined for them. So you actually aren't building upon anything. You're just acknowledging that it exists. And then you're really not using it or appreciating it or valuing it in any way. Um, and so like, I think what we're really trying to do is hold us to the things we say we value in, in learning spaces and in education work where we can walk our talk. Um, and I think that could lead to some real foundational shifts in, you know, the entire way of living and being. Um, so when I think about that, I'm also hearing like more than just finally letting go of the industrial revolution nature of why we're still living through some of these systemic structures in education, but really moving beyond just like trying to not just describe the future, but let's create the future we believe we deserve for all of us 
and starting with education and what it looks like. So love that you really painted that so, so well for us. Um, I'm still processing. I'm going to probably have to re-listen to this like others. Uh, where can folks go to find out more? Um, what is next for both of you in this work? Well, I think, you know, we're really excited to keep sharing um, this framework and to keep learning, right? Like this is emergent. I like Adrienne Marie Brown, like shifted my whole worldview when I read Emergent Strategy, because I just think she so beautifully captures this notion of like, that's the point of learning. It's emergent. And so our framework is is our best guess. And we're continuing to, to like find examples. People are sending things to us. We're, we're learning about how this is happening because neither Kelly or I know exactly how to make this happen in every context, right? It's We're just trying to, to, to dream with folks. Um, and so I think that we are sharing this with, with people and with the world as, as much as we can through conferences um, and talking with amazing educators like you, Rebecca. Uh, we certainly have information about it on my website, which is uh, the Core Shifts website. You can find it in the show notes. Um, and then and our hope is that we're just going to continue to be able to find examples of people who are doing this and like figure out how we can sit, sit beside them and learn um, so that we can keep pushing on ways in which we can hold. I think for me, it's like, how do we hold to this beautiful vision? Because I believe in it deeply, right? I, I think that this is the this is a way that we can change the experience of young people, and we can change the experience of adults or facilitators of learning in schools. Um, and I also know that um, people are working under a whole variety of constraints that are still beholden to like the notions of white supremacy culture and the ways in which our education continues to to sort of um, not feed into. The, the ideas of liberation. So we're just going to continue to learn to figure out how do we, how do we, how do we move with folks and help them to do that? Abby and Kelly, thank you so much for joining us and, and leading this important work. I'm excited for more people to find out more and to follow up with you and to read more on your blog and to hear about this unfold and the iterative nature that you so beautifully captured. Thank you for, for joining us. Yes. Thank you so much. And thank you, Rebecca. Kelly said it, but you know, we, I learned so much from you and you have shaped um, how this country thinks about competency-based education, which is a huge foundation upon which revelatory assessment sits. Um, and we have you, we have so much to thank in your leadership and your vision. So thank you for that. And thank you, Mason. Thanks for tuning into the Getting Smart podcast today. We want this podcast to be actionable, insightful, and a great way to learn about what's next in learning. In order to stay on the cutting edge, we need people in the field to tell us what they're hearing, what they're wanting, and what they're needing to learn more about. Got a topic or a guest in mind? Send your recommendations to me, Mason at GettingSmart.com. And if you like what you're hearing, don't forget to leave a review in Apple Podcasts or subscribe wherever you listen. Feel free to share the podcast on social media using the hashtag GSPodcasts. Thanks so much.